when we have an opportunity to see those things that we misquote from the Bible or hear misquoted from time to time, like money is the root of all evil, the Bible says so. Well, now you can say it doesn't say so. It says the law of money. There's a distinction. Money is a tool. It's a neutral item. But that obsession, that greed, that love of money, that striving, that insatiable striving, that is the root of certainly many evils. Paul, writing to a young protege, Timothy, urges Timothy to have contentment with what he already has, cautioning Timothy against overvaluing financial wealth or status or popularity or being right or academic success or career success, any of those things, too much, rather than valuing what God has already provided. Because we know, like Timothy and Paul, that if we get those values twisted up, we start to slip into some dangerous territory. I want to share once again, and I might even share it another time, this definition of wealth and poverty that I've been chewing on ever since going to Seattle on pilgrimage, going to Honduras and Appalachia on ministry trips, and I want you to chew on this definition with me, which is why I'm using some repetition here. And also, I think it really relates to the scriptures today. Wealth is having access to pathways that lead to human flourishing. Poverty is a lack of access to those pathways that lead to human flourishing. It's not your bank account status. It's not how much money you have in your wallet right now. True wealth, well-being, and flourishing is much more than money. It comes from having multiple access points that enable you and your loved ones to thrive, to flourish. Safe housing, opportunities to learn and to work, access to the support of people around you, ways to contribute in society, access to love, access to deep connection with others, access to true freedom, access to activities that nourish us and refresh us, access to health care and good, healthy food, access to a legal and government system that upholds the rights of people over the interest of those who would fall into greed, fall into that insatiable striving, protecting us from those who would love power more than people, money more than people. As we chew on those definitions, we have to look at our own sense of our wealth and well-being and our poverty. We all have experiences of access, and we all have experiences of lacking access. There is not like one group of wealthy and one group of poor, but rather we have a lot of different experiences of both. When we have wealth in any of these areas, to these ways of living, in any aspect, we are called by the scriptures today to notice it, to pay attention, to be openly thankful to God, to whatever access we do have, to the people that help create that access in our lives. If we fall in love to having more and more and more and forget to be thankful, we run the risk of slipping into very dangerous spiritual territory. Dangerous territory surrounded by a high wall with a locked gate at the front. Dangerous territory that actually imprisons us 
rather than protects us. Now, walls and fences and gates really do have value. I'm not saying they don't belong in this world. They're neutral, like money. They're tools. I'm thinking back four years ago when we were at a rodeo in Cody, Wyoming, and there was a perimeter fence around the rodeo area, the arena, and it was a great night. We watched the sun go down, and we got some snacks, and people are streaming in with their cotton candy and their sodas, and they're coming up the bleachers. We're halfway up the bleachers, and the rodeo has begun, and this wild bucking bronco bucks backwards over the perimeter fence into the area where people are walking with their cotton candy. That is frightening. We huddled together up on the bleachers as though the, the horse might get all the way up to us, you know? But it was really scary. Nobody was hurt. But it was really scary. That fence is supposed to protect us from those wild beasts, right? I mean, that one was particularly wild. It can be alarming and dangerous to have certain fences and boundaries transgressed. We all have spiritual and mental fences that help us to feel safe and protected, and that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes when they're transgressed, we feel, we feel threatened and anxious and vulnerable, and we make the fence even higher, right? We strengthen it a bit. Fences can be useful, but again, they're neutral. I once served an urban congregation as a seminary intern. I'm very mindful of the various internship experiences I've had with Jen being here. And I served one congregation for a short time that had this pretty tall, taller than me, chain link fence around the whole block of the church. The church took up a whole city block. And they had this fence around the church to keep people from crossing their lawn to get to the nearby bus stop that really was pretty much on their property. When I asked somebody that had been there for generations about that fence, he told me quite proudly that their lawn was looking great, wasn't it? You know, and it did. It looked pretty good. And he was very proud also that they had taken down the barbed wire that was at the top, that used to be at the top. Can you imagine a church with a chain link fence around it and barbed wire? I'm glad they took down the barbed wire before I got there. I think that would have been really startling. It was still startling to see the chain link fence. <coughs> now, what I understood the longer I was there is that the folks who were worshiping in that congregation, who were white folks like me, they had come from families that had moved out of the city a generation or two earlier as the neighborhood opened up to families of color after years and years of racist covenants and redlining in that city. And the white families in that church had moved out to the burbs, but returned each Sunday to worship in the church of their grandparents. They could tell you everything in the church and whose grandfather or grandmother donated it. It was a shrine to the ancestors, you know? And they enclosed their shrine with that fence, and for a time, even put some barbed wire up. Now, Perhaps this bothers me so much, because my grandparents also white-flighted out of Compton, California, when my mother was a child. So in my own family history, I understand how challenging it is to look back at our history, for certain people raised in certain contexts to know they are safe, that they don't need fences up, and that sometimes putting that fence up or changing location actually makes us more unsafe. In my own spiritual experience, I know this too, not only in my family history, but in my spiritual history. 
I am constantly erecting fences that keep me from deeply trusting in God to provide all that I need in this life. Sometimes I construct a little chain link fencing and even add a little barbed wire, and I catch myself and maybe just remove the barbed wire, right? Leaving up a little bit of chain link. I long to open the gates wide, perhaps even like that wild horse, to wildly and confidently buck over the fences altogether, where the fear and control and distrust fade away. These are spiritual fences, fear and control and distrust, and we are called to trust God, like our psalmist writes in the second verse, my God in whom I put my trust. That's not a done deal, it's a project we're all working on. I want to share with you another story where I crossed a little boundary, thoughtfully and prayerfully. I was um, trying to have a nice long run at Western Regional Park. I had to drive somebody there who was going to be running a lot longer than me, and I couldn't quite run as long. And so I left, and I went and got a Dunkin' coffee, and then I still had about 20 minutes before that person's run was over. And I thought, well, 20 minutes, I can sit here and maybe just check my email. Oh, I'll pop over to Hilda's Place. I haven't been there yet. For those of you who don't know, Hilda's Place is a substance use disorder treatment center that went into the same shopping center as Subway. It had just opened up, it was springtime, and I was curious about it, and I wanted to see if there was some way that St. Andrews could be supportive. Now, I was in my workout clothes, because sometimes this acts like another type of fence. This caller sometimes says, there's a fence around this, literally, there's a fence around this, right? So I thought, maybe it's ideal that I'm going there all normal, you know, like I really look. And I also had a blue warm welcome mug in my car that I forgot to give to somebody else. So I wrote a little note and I took the warm welcome mug into Hilda's place because it's easier to cross into new territory when you're bearing a gift. I think it just is easier for me. So I walk in and there's not much going on and I chatted with the assistant director who introduced myself and we were having a nice conversation with a whole shuttle van full of people pulls up and all these folks get out that have been living together and come in together for treatment. And they fill up this hallway, this entranceway, and they're streaming in and they're signing in on the clipboard and they're chatting with each other and having that kind of normal morning conversation we all have. Some have coffees like I have a coffee and, and they're coming by me and they're saying good morning and greeting. And one guy works his way around all the people, comes over to me, stands right in front of me, reaches out his hand, coffee in the other hand and says, hi, welcome, are you new to our group? It was one of the warmest welcomes I had received. And here I thought I was welcoming them into the neighborhood. I felt so truly seen and welcomed. I walked into unfamiliar territory and found warm welcome inside. So St. Andrews now leads a weekly Bible study at Hilda's Place. You may not know that, it's fairly new. We began this in August. Deacon Ed started it on Tuesday mornings at Hilda's Place, and I promised him if he did it for the month of August, I'd pick it up when I came back in September, which I've done. So we read this parable of the rich man and Lazarus at this Bible study on Tuesday morning, a bunch of folks in recovery doing the hard work of their recovery day by day. We read this parable together. And I asked them, as I have before, 
four, what stood out to you in this story? And different folks share different things. This one particular gentleman who always sits over here, there's a lightness and a brightness to his face, lovely man, said smiling, the dog, the dog stands out to me. The dog was licking his wounds. I think the dog was trying to heal him. That stands out to me too. In this story, which is one of those puzzling parables that doesn't predict the afterlife, mind you, doesn't describe the afterlife, it just gets us thinking and living better. That dog in the story cares more about Lazarus than another human being does. And I know that can be true for a lot of us. We can see dogs as caring more and understanding more about us sometimes than human beings. And that dog offers what little it can to heal Lazarus when he's being ignored by the rich man behind those tall gates who actually has the resources to offer him access to food and a bath and clean clothes and connection. The dog kind of gets it, and the rich man doesn't. In this parable, Lazarus has access to something, too. Lazarus has access to that connection with Abraham, with living a righteous life and then being restored to that life with Abraham. And the man behind the safety of those gates does not have that access. This is a classic move in Luke's gospel, a reversal of fortunes, a flip in people's circumstances. It happens throughout Luke's gospel. Here the territory is flipped. One has all, the other has nothing on earth. And then in the afterlife, one has nothing and the other has it all. So I don't think this story is about which of us are going to heaven. I think it's about paying attention to who sits just outside the edges of our carefully maintained lawns, who we've been avoiding and ignoring, who lacks access to flourishing that we might be able to offer, who might also offer us access to some type of flourishing that we long for. We can have access to a good life and share that access with others by pausing to be thankful for the access we already have, we can look around in that place of gratitude and consider who's outside the gates of this access. And we can say to them, like it was said to me, hi there, welcome, are you new to our group? Communities of faith at their very best share access of all kinds with one another. We build upon one another's access so that we all flourish. People listen and share what they know, enhancing each person's access to those pathways where they will thrive. I have known this in this congregation in my own life. I have flourished because of some of the access other people here have shared with me. And I pray you know how much that access means to your flourishing as well. We all do this for one another, sharing our access, growing and flourishing together because that's what church is, the body of Christ that is flourishing together. If there's an area of your life where you are longing for some access, where you are not experiencing flourishing, here you are in a community of people who can help and offer access in the ways they are able. Open the gate in your own spiritual being and seek out a neighbor, somebody who can share their access with you. I am 
deeply thankful to God for how this community cares for one another, for the ways that St. Andrew's folks create access for one another to flourish, and out of that experience welcome neighbors and strangers into that community experiencing and flourishing all together. 